Spinnaker was the best time of my life. Yeah, Spinnaker in a figure eight. And that's when my dad turned to me and said, you know, yelling starboard is not going to stop that boat. That's the power. This podcast is brought to you by ShorelineSailboats.com, Western New York's laser performance dealer. Welcome, fellow sailors. I'm excited to speak with Robert Suhey today, who is the long-distance record holder and sailed this laser to a record distance of 283.5 nautical miles, which uh, is 326 actual statute miles and 525 kilometers. did this back on July of this year, on July 2nd, and then just recently was awarded by the Guinness Book of World Records, the award saying that he is the official holder, and that was on the uh, November 17th of this year. So, uh, Robert, it's uh, exciting to hear your story and get a chance to talk to you. I really appreciate being here. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Hey, you know, I was reading some of this, some of your life story, and I think it's really interesting how you, you got started in sailing. You've been sailing for a long time, and maybe you could tell us a little bit about uh, how it all started. Sure. I was, I think, uh, inspired by my dad, who uh, loved sailing. Um, uh, he was a, a member of the Coast Guard. Uh, and always uh, was fascinated by sailing and by going long distance. And I think he gave some of that to me. And I remember when I was uh, just about six, seven years old, he built a uh, a little pram. Uh, it's a little eight-foot dinghy uh, out of a kit, something that you get at the back of Sail Magazine. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, he basically took me down to the water to test it out. I was kind of, I guess, his guinea pig. And... Uh, <laughs> I grew up in a little town called Point Pleasant, New Jersey, which is uh, somewhere between Asbury Park and Atlantic City. If you know New Jersey broadly, it's about um, uh, midway between the two. Uh, and it's uh, the town at the very head of the intercoastal waterway. Basically, he would take me down and uh, and just kick me off into the water. I really knew nothing about sailing, and he didn't, for all of his love of sailing, was not very practiced at it either. And so um, we both kind of learned through books and, and just kind of getting out there. Um, and uh, I remember um, after a little bit of practice, uh, there were days when he would literally take me down <laughs> to the water on his way to work and put me in the dinghy and kind of just shove it off and say, see you later and come pick me up, uh, you know, later in the day on his way home from work. So I, even as a kid, I sometimes would spend up to about eight hours on the water with Often nothing more than like a little bottle of water and sometimes a, a bologna sandwich. So <laughs> going uh, going really far and really long was uh, not not uh, un- unfamiliar to me from a very early age. Um, and uh, uh, I would just sail around this creek. And in fact, I, I remember um, that one of my very early goals uh, on the boat was to just go as far as possible. Um, uh, so the area by the Beaver Dam Creek runs into basically the Bayhead area for anybody who knows New Jersey and Barnegat Bay. And then from uh, Bayhead, it kind of goes south and then into the expanse of Barnegat Bay and, and south for another, you know, 60 miles before it becomes another bay. And basically the uh, inland uh, 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 system there runs about 120 miles all the way down to Cape May. So it's a big uh, area. Yeah, I had a lot of challenge in front of me. I never quite went that far in my little, you know, eight-foot dinghy, but um, but I thought about it. <laughs> uh, I remember actually, too, the first time I went, uh, there was a, a little bridge at the end of the Beaver Dam Creek, um, just like a little, uh, you know, rotating uh, car bridge. Um, 
And I remember the first time I came up to that bridge and I was going to go under it and then head out into the Bay Head area. And uh, I came up to the bridge and I had a horn and I must have been maybe 10 years old, 11 years old. And I blew the horn and the bridge tender just walks out of his house and comes over and he goes, uh, what's up? I said, open the bridge. <laughs> he goes, uh, just sail under it. I said, open the bridge. I'm going to hit my mast on your bridge. He goes, you're not. You're you're fine. Just go under the bridge. I said, if I hit my mast, I'm coming up there. <laughs> to do what, I don't know, but, but I'm coming up there. He goes, just go under. So I very indignantly um, started sailing under the bridge. You know, the wind gets squirrely under bridges. I wound up paddling uh, under the bridge. My mast was nowhere near the span. <laughs> I came out the other side. He waved. I waved grumbling back and went on my way but uh well i was gonna ask you i was gonna yeah. ask you about your bridge experience because i think i yeah. went someplace where you, you really don't really enjoy going under bridges even today i don't actually it's funny i and I, maybe it goes back to that i i've always had a very um kind of uh queasy feeling about going under bridges i don't like it at all and i um when my wife and I lived on a sailboat for a number of years, and uh, we cruised down the Intracoastal Waterway um, with, well, first with our firstborn, and then my wife was pregnant with our second um, during part of our journey, um, and then the two of the little boys lived on the boat for a number of years. But uh, we uh, we lost a masthead light, actually a very a newly purchased masthead light, um, to the uh, to, I think it's a railway bridge that goes over the uh, canal between. Uh, um, uh, just before you get to uh, uh, shoot uh, Lake Okeechobee in Florida, um, wow. there's a, a famous kind of like limiting bridge on that canal, <laughs> and uh, we were over the limit by about <laughs> one by the thickness of a light. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh well. Uh, uh, doing that when I was about uh, 13, I think I bought my first boat. Um, I'd saved up a was, bunch of allowance. What was that? Do you know? Was... I bought a little penguin. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Which is a basically an eleven foot bathtub with a sail on it that I really, I love that boat to death, and um, I had a lot of fun sailing that for a number of years, and um, then uh, got into scow sailing, which is pretty common on Barnegat Bay. Uh, one day I got on my uh, M scow, uh, which is a sixteen foot scow. Um, mm-hmm. In the morning, um, I left the docks in um, uh, Beach Haven. Uh, probably around six in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning, and just headed north. And I wound up sailing up the bay, uh, quite a ways um, past uh, Barnegat Township, and I probably did about um, I don't know, maybe 50 miles in one direction, oh. and then um, stopped at a friend's house, um, <laughs> had a glass of water, and then turned around and came back. Um, and I got back to um, the docks and. Uh, Beach Haven about, I, I think it was like 1 o'clock in the morning, and my oh. wife was at the docks, actually not amused. because <laughs> uh, oh. this, this is before cell phones, <laughs> and right. uh, so there was no communication. She just knew that I had left and, and had not come back <laughs> until much later. Um, but uh, again, it was just a, a matter of, you know, being in that boat and having the wind behind me and the conditions right and, the you know, the forecast looking good, and then just feeling like I really want to kind of push the limits as far as I can and just go as far Starts as I can. For you, yeah. So I've gone, I've gone really yeah. long since since <laughs> I was a kid and have done big big adventures like that. So yeah. <laughs> the laser sailboat you you chose that for your big trip was there a reason for the laser? 
Uh, well, you know, it, again, this is just a kind of a happenstance. Um, so a number of years ago, I guess, what is it, uh, about 11 years ago, uh, my wife and I moved to Norfolk, Virginia, um, and that was basically just work-related. And as it turns out, there had been a, uh, a very active little uh, dinghy sailing community here. And I happened to bump into the guys um, involved in it, and uh, they got me interested in sailing again down here, and they were all sailing pretty much uh, lasers at the time. So it was a boat that was available, um, and I could, you know, charter one, wound up sailing at the Navy base for a bit. So I got back into sailing through borrowing uh, little lasers. I, it's actually, oddly, even though it's such a popular boat, it's not a boat I ever sailed as a kid. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't come up through yacht clubs, um, and I didn't come up through any uh, formal or organized program. Basically, I've always just kind of sailed by the seat of my pants, and um, right. everything I've learned kind of has been either through books or just experience. So mm-hmm. um, it's a very easy boat to kind of get. Um, it's a very easy boat to sail. It's a very difficult boat to sail well. Um, mm. So it's it's a very very challenging boat. You can always keep learning and always you know uh, keep adding to your skills with the with the boat. You can always get better, and there's always somebody better than you. Um, so it's been a lot of fun. It's really convenient for racing too. Um, yeah. uh, and spending a few hours on a laser is pretty tough work, and you spent three and a half days on it. It's funny. I, I'm not uncomfortable in small spaces like that. Mm. I. Uh, I think maybe one of the things that makes me suited to this kind of, you know, challenge is um, I often live very much inside my head, and the confines of the boat aren't a very – I don't feel them. When I'm out sailing, I feel very much connected to a very, you know, big world around me. Um, Uh So I don't feel like I'm in a very small space. Uh, It's funny, though, uh, to the point, though, I do practice – uh, and I have practiced uh, for this uh, for the trip by um like I don't just sit in the cockpit of the boat I get up a lot I I've sailed like on every standing on every corner of the boat uh I sit, sail standing in front of the mast I sail standing up on the edges I can walk mm-hmm. in front of the mast and I can walk behind the boom you know I mean and no. by this all I mean is I practice moving around the boat so that I own every inch of it and feel really tuned yep um, mm-hmm. I practice sailing, um, just lying down in the boat and, um, you know, what, so what happens if you just try to relax and what happens if you're, you know, you're really tired and just need to stretch out, how can you do that and, you know, kind of keep moving. Um, that's not a technique I ever actually needed in, in the long distance trips that I've taken, but, um, but you, the idea is to just establish a feeling of, you know, total comfort in that small space. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the difficulties might be that you can't you can't lower the sail. Is that true? Uh, that's true? Actually, you can't. Um, you can scandalize it a little bit, um, it, and by that, um, it, it, it scandalize is a term used actually with um, um, gaff rig boats. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you can lower the gaff, and that's called scandalizing the sail. Mm-hmm. Uh, at any rate, um, uh, you can if if you needed to undo the clue and take a couple of wraps around the mast and basically, you know, put your essentially reef to sail. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, no, you can't take the sail down. But I've never needed to either. And, um, well, I did get into one situation where a squall line hit me right at the very end, actually, of my trip. And it's, in fact, one of the reasons that it got cut a little shorter than the original plan. 
um, uh, in a squall, the wind got so strong that I couldn't hold the boat upright, even trying to feather it. Um, the, it, mm. the wind would just get onto the sail. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I turned the boat upside down for a couple minutes and just sat on the bottom, uh, you know, the, basically yeah. the upturned bottom of the boat. Um, yeah, and then, the, the, you know, it's very quiet and comfortable, and it only takes uh, a couple minutes for a squall line to blow through. Um, your sail was just flogging at that point? trying. Yeah, to, it was just flogging, and uh, it was going to do damage. Too, yeah. Yep. I do practice um, uh, doing things like, uh, uh, well, heaving to is not exactly the right word, I think, yeah. on a laser. But um, uh, <laughs> I have a little system I've created with a bungee cord um, that creates like a kind of an automatic self-steer. <laughs> um, you can take a bungee cord and basically give it a wrap around the tiller, um, mm-hmm. and I can essentially let go of the tiller, and it'll stay fairly in place without being you know, tied mm-hmm. solidly. Um, and uh, by setting the sail um, a little bit loose and, you know, setting the tiller a little bit, you can kind of let the boat feather itself for a little bit without un- unattended. It frees up two hands, it gets some, something to eat or open a bottle yeah. of water, do, do something. Uh, four gallons of water, you assume yeah, you need four, that. And, four gallons, right. Yeah. Maybe just uh, touch on that uh, supply list of things that you need sure. to take. Sure, yeah. Um, uh, basically, it's food, batteries, water. And I do carry a small, very, very light anchor. So the four gallons was enough to get me through uh, basically three and a half days. Um, mm-hmm. And I would have come down right to the last gallon at the very end um, and still stayed on my drinking schedule. So when I'm going really long, uh, I force myself um, to eat a little bit, like a little nibble every hour, uh, mm-hmm. you know, on the hour. Um, sometimes I go two, but I try not to. I try to make sure it's every hour and then take a little sip of water um, or water plus electrolytes um, every hour. And the idea is to maintain a really, really steady body state. You don't want to spike at all. A couple of times people said, oh, man, you went for that long. It must have been a lot of coffee. And I always tell them it's the last thing I would ever drink on a long-distance trip is coffee or any kind of, you know, heavy stimulant. Uh, yeah. Because once you get into a... Uh, a rhythm of you know spikes and 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 then drops. Uh, it's a it's a losing battle. You'll never you'll never stay awake through it, and you'll never get past you know the uh, the 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 cliffs after the highs and lows. I see. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So you want to be really really steady. It's like it's funny because uh, the mistakes even that I made this last time were putting out too much energy at certain points in time. Um, I got kind of excited after going through the Bay Bridge. The wind had come up. I was feeling really good, and uh, I started just really working the boat hard for a couple hours just to gain some time and some ground, and that was a little bit of a mistake because uh, you want to be at, like, just the top of, of the yellow zone. You never really want to get into the red zone at all. Uh, so, Are you leaving at about 5 o'clock in the morning? Is that you're, you're pushing well, off the Old I, Dominion? Well, I did wind up, but that wasn't uh, it wasn't based on the sun, uh, you know, or the daytime mm-hmm. at all. It was based on tides here. Um, there's pretty heavy tides in Chesapeake Bay, and there's a pretty good current that runs through the Elizabeth because um, we're right near the mouth at, of the Chesapeake Bay at the southern end. Um, so there's huge volume of water moving in and out. Uh, so the the five o'clock was based on catching the very last of the ebb tide out of the Elizabeth River past the Navy base, and mm-hmm. then hopefully getting into the start of the flood in Chesapeake Bay, which coming into the bay. 
Right, exactly, which will take you gotcha. north. And, you know, so uh, it had nothing to do with the time of day other than, you know, where it was in the tide, the tide cycle. Um, Did so your that, weather look pretty good at that point? Yeah, the weather was, it was decent. It wasn't um, actually a week before would have been optimal, but I couldn't get that week off. And uh, so some of this is based right around, you know, work schedules too. And uh, and frankly, if the window had, had not looked good at all, I would have, you know, put the trip off. Um, mm-hmm. The wind wasn't perfect for me. Um, it, it was going to be in my face all the way back, which was not never going to be great. Um, ideally, um, to go up and back, you would want, you know, the wind to switch <laughs> right right at the right point. Um, and that's a pretty hard, that's, you know, you have to you have to have a lot of angels on your side for that. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, so it was going to be my face, but the wind strengths were within what I considered um, a good window. Um, they wound up being a lot stronger than the original forecast. And frankly, at, when we left um, uh, Hurricane Arthur, which was the earliest hurricane to actually make landfall on the east coast, specifically North North Carolina. Um, in you know since record keeping began, <laughs> yeah, it was not that the, the hurricane wasn't even on the radar when when yeah. when I left or when I was doing the planning. So uh, we, you know that came up fast on us and, and kind of out of the blue. But yeah, the, the weather window looked not optimal, but um, within the parameters that we set for you know acceptable. Um, gotcha. And and as it turned out, it it wasn't bad. Um, the wind directions did um, work against me a lot. Uh, it's funny, I had done a kind of a practice run um, the year before uh, with the option to go farther, but uh, I wound up just running up from Norfolk to Annapolis, um, which is about halfway. I, I, I actually forget. I think it's only about 110 um, miles in the end. What did you um, learn from that trip, Was that kind of a learning experience for you? Then? Oh, yeah, a big learning experience. Um, just about uh, some safety equipment. I wind up fa- fine-tuning some safety equipment, um, fine-tuning um, uh, gloves uh, uh, and hand protection are a really big factor, I find, um, in going long distance on a dinghy like this. Um, uh, so the year before, one of the reasons I didn't turn around and come back was uh, the, the coarseness of the tiller extension had rubbed. I, I wear open-tip gloves. Uh, and the, my fingertips were rubbed so raw, I, I basically couldn't touch anything for a week. I mean, they were just so sore. It was like holding out the sandpaper for 31 hours, you know, and so it got really, really rough. Plus, uh, again, one of the things to work out, and you mentioned this or kind of touched on it, um, the, you know, the laser is a kind of small and not very comfortable looking dinghy, and, uh, so you have to work out cushioning, and so, uh, in that trial run, I brought uh, basically your standard uh, sailboat seat cushion and mm-hmm. thought that that would be enough. But what happened was uh, over a period of 31 hours, you know, the laser is just so wet that the cushion itself just wound up not being waterproof and it became basically a a, a brick of water. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was really, really heavy and not comfortable and uh, and wound up being completely useless. Um, so this year, actually, uh, I finally figured out how to make the laser comfortable for a long period of time. 
if you've ever seen those, uh, if, you, if you have children, you know these things. Um, there are these play mats that look like puzzles, and you can, you know, add mm-hmm. sections and make them bigger. Well, that material is kind of a closed cell foam that does not absorb water at all and is extremely light. So I took mm-hmm. one of those um, mats, uh, cut the puzzle pieces off, um, and basically drilled a little hole to put a lanyard into it and tied it onto the back end of the laser. Um, I did uh, see that in your video. I, I wondered what right. that was in the oh, yeah, video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Then, I have to watch it, it and then let's... Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I uh, made a little video about it because it actually turns out to be like one of the key uh, hmm. things to going really, really far in some, uh, not comfort, but the the uh, if you just sit on the laser... Um, for that long, it becomes debilitating. I mean, the the, the mm-hmm. amount of soreness in in, in the in in the posterior, uh, mm-hmm. literally, you you feel like you cannot sit anymore, and you have to at times uh-huh. in, in the laser, and uh, it just uh, uh, becomes so well uh, ever present that you become <laughs> a, kind of obsessed with the pain and or uh-huh. pain management, and then you are uh-huh. not you, you don't have enough brain power to do the job at hand. So anyway, this this closed cell, I I felt perfectly fine. I wasn't sore at all. In fact, it, it worked perfectly and wound up being a key to being able to go really, really long. The number of hours I went to actually um, go the distance this time was double what I had done before, and I was in much better shape at the end. I solved the, the glove problem by thinking one pair of gloves uh, over time actually winds up getting really wet, and then it basically holds the water in against your hand. Um, and so I brought three pairs of gloves with different kinds of texture, and one of them had fingertips on it too. So that at some point I could put protection on my fingertips as well. Um, and then sometimes I would just go without gloves at all. Uh, did the hands uh, become a problem at all during it, or did no? You actually, it was much much better at the time. And, right. And the the thing was to just rotate through the gloves and let let mm-hmm. one pair dry out a little bit, or just at least not you know constantly be in contact with the hand and um and then like i said so i would just cycle through the gloves a little bit and um and that seemed to work much much better you made it out into the chesapeake but uh, i think at that first leg or i guess you call it leg you ran out of wind didn't you Is that what yeah happened when you got I, out in the- I had anticipated having a, a kind of a, a reach up the the bay for um the first a bunch of hours and uh, it's a, as it turned out, the wind direction was just uh, slightly off, uh, you know, in the forecast. And I wound up having to basically beat out of um, uh, the Hampton Roads area. Uh, basically, I had to do a couple tacks just to get mm-hmm. out into the Chesapeake Bay proper, which was not ideal. And the wind direction was wind against current for a little while. Um, and it gets really, really choppy in that part of the bay um, in Hampton Roads, uh, which kind of runs into the, the bay from the west side. Um, it gets really, really choppy. So uh, right off the bat, I wound up in in kind of very sloppy seas and going, you know, really close on the wind. In fact, I I had to work so close uh, for the first couple hours. I was about a mile uh, west of the position where I wanted to be um, uh, at the kind of the first uh, landmark for me or the first big, you know, mark, which is a wolf trap light, if you look at the bay. So I wound up a little bit to the west of um, where I wanted to be in the bay, and uh, the wind got basically just dropped out for a little while while it was switching directions. And for about four hours, I basically had to just pump the boat and try to maintain uh, position. The currents run pretty strong. 
so yeah no that you're still in big waters there um and uh, it can get you you can be in a spot where it's very difficult to see the shore on either side um uh, and you can feel mm-hmm. like you're out in the middle of nowhere big, you know nowhere <laughs> right yeah yep mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, oh, uh, you had asked, and this kind of got off on the equipment. So, yeah, basically I said, you know, um, uh, so there's four gallons of water. Uh, basically, I've come down to um, a, a certain number of, uh, like, power bars. I, I, I basically eat cliff bars. <laughs> I don't like them. I, I find them the best for me. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I think they're really good. Um, I've used I used a number of other, like, cliff bar products this time that mm-hmm. I thought were really good and it worked really well for me too. Um, Cliff makes this little thing called shots, uh, which are basically uh, mm-hmm. like little energy mm-hmm. boosts um, in a packet sure. that were very easy to use. And I I ate a lot of those too because they're like liquid. So you yeah. don't have to like eat them like a Cliff bar, um, which can be yeah, like hard. marathon runners use right. those. Yeah. Yep. yep. The power shots are really good. And then mm-hmm. I used Cliff blocks, which are an electrolyte. Um, replacement, and that worked really, really well, especially in the summertime. You know, you're losing a lot uh, during the day. Um, uh, and um, then I also carry an apple, like uh, mm-hmm. three. I eat three, basically three apples a day. One mm-hmm. kind of in the morning, one in the afternoon, and one as a kind of a treat at night. Um, okay. uh, so you know, I I had like nine apples with me. I I prefer like hard green sour yeah. kind of yes, apples. Yeah. I'm with you yeah, on that they one. they uh, <laughs> they they last long and they they seem to hold up, uh, you know, in a bag over time. So like, like a Granny Smith, yeah, that's yeah. good. I also <laughs> carry a couple like little mini chocolates with me. Um, not a lot of them, um, yeah. but I use them as a treat at nighttime um, for those kind of like I'm I work at night, so I'm accustomed to being up at night. And as part of my training for this too, when I got home at from work, often like at say one one in the morning, I would go out and run, or I would do some like long physical workout, uh, so that I was doing uh, a lot of physical training in the middle of the night, so that I would be accustomed to you know huge efforts, you know at that time of day. Gotcha. Um, but I find that the hardest hours for me are like between three and say four o'clock, four thirty in the morning. Um, that's when I normally go to sleep, so my body's going, hey, you know what, feels like bedtime. Uh, so I often use, like, one or two of those, like, little chocolates as a treat. Like, okay, if you can just make it another half an hour, well, uh, you can get a chocolate. <laughs> yep, there you go. So it's, it's my chocolate carrot, yeah, so something like that. One of the key sponsors of this trip wound up being uh, Magellan, um, my mm-hmm. wife. Um, help bring them aboard. I'd been using a Magellan unit um, in the past, and uh, she gave them a call and said, "My yeah, my husband is uh, doing this crazy thing. Uh, would you be interested in helping him out?" And they have a new unit out, and they allowed me to test it, and it worked out really, really well. Uh, so, uh, is it uneventful? Is the trip pretty good at this point from Wolf Light North? Are you oh, doing okay? Yeah. Yeah, I'm fine. The, the only thing is, uh, and it, it basically set the uh, the the. It kind of doomed me. I lost my phone right off the bat. Oh, uh, Lisa, uh, my wife uh, and I had, had over time had uh, thought out and set up like a very elaborate plan for communications, and we were going to tweet the whole thing and uh, you know uh, send out messages and pictures all along the way. 
and right. um, uh, I, we tried that the year before, but what I found is I have a very hard time seeing screens in the sunlight, and I'm not very good at typing when I can't see um, on the phone. And I was sending out messages, and a number of friends of mine said, well, we didn't even know he spoke Martian because the <laughs> messages I was sending out were so, you know, incomprehensible. <laughs> uh, so what we tried to work out this year was a better, like, uh, voice activation uh, system where uh, um, I could just talk to the phone and it, it would type and tweet and do whatever I wanted. So I'm out in the bay. The wind's piping up a little bit. Um, you know, I'm only a, an hour and a half from the house, and I'm trying to talk to the machine, and the phone keeps saying, um, there's too much ambient noise. I can't understand what you're saying. So I thought, well, let me just take it out of the case because maybe the plastic is inhibiting, the, you know, the voice or whatever. And uh, so I take it out of the case, and I know you're thinking, oh, you dropped the phone into the water, and that's not what happened. <laughs> what, what did happen was... Uh, even though I had the phone out, it still wouldn't understand what I was saying because of the mm-hmm. wind and just the, the ambient noise. Too much, too so as I went to put the phone back in the case, uh, a wave hit the side of the boat. A few drops of water splashed into the case. Oh. And I thought, well, you know, you can have a phone out in the rain and it's not going to die. So like <laughs> one drop of water in, in the plastic case isn't going to kill a phone. So I tried to, you know, just kind of like wipe it out, but your hands are wet and everything's wet, so you're not. It's very hard to, to dry things out in the water in the dinghy. So I put the phone in the case and, and closed it, and I wear it around my neck, so it's essentially like right out in the sun. As soon as the sun hit the case and warmed up, it basically steamed the water in this sealed case, and then it steamed the phone, which apparently does kill a phone. So the, at the next hour, when I went to, uh, you know, send another report, the phone was just dead. It, it just died. Um, I had a uh, handheld radio, but uh, I could not get that to operate. We had tested it beforehand, but in the actual conditions, uh, something went wrong. Either the battery didn't last, um, but I couldn't get the VHF to operate. So, so now I'm without, hours into the trip, you're without any contact. Yeah, and then, you know, yeah. of course, then my wife got very nervous and, and yeah. uh, you know, rightfully so. And, um, right. So, but basically, yeah, we're out of communication. Fortunately, mm-hmm. however, um, this cool little GPS unit that I had from Magellan has a mm-hmm. built-in camera. So I was able to take pictures all the way along, basically, with my GPS unit, mm-hmm. <laughs> which wound right. up being pretty cool. Um, and that actually is waterproof. So I just had that basically in the pocket of my life jacket with a little lanyard tied, you know, to me. Um, uh, so I was able to just stop and take pictures. And the neat little thing about that was they were all uh, geosynced. So every photo had basically a Latin launch attached to it and a timestamp. So uh-huh. you knew exactly right. where I was, when I was by the photo. So that was kind of cool. Hmm. Um but that wound up being important just for the record keeping and you know and for supporting the the record claim later on. Right. Uh, right. But uh, yeah, so we were in without communication, and it, it's weird because hours later, um, so I get uh, basically I beat up to um, to Wolf Trap, then I get becalmed for about four hours. I I knew the breeze was going to fill in from the east, so I had slowly pumped my way and pumped the boat across. Uh, the bay toward the east, out toward the. Is that a workout for you? Was it, kind of, it, it, it really like a is. Workout. Yeah. yeah, it's a big, it's a big workout, and and yeah. like I said, I really, uh, you you can't just sit still. I mean, when you're trying to get somewhere, the the, the key is you, you can't 
can't just lie down in the boat and go, oh, well, um, especially that, that early. You know, you have to try. Um, but I really didn't want to be putting out that kind of wattage that early on. I had hoped that that first part of the trip would have gone a lot easier, and it just didn't. Um, so I thought, well, you know, it's, the wind's going to be bad somewhere, so why not here? And then just, you know, keep going, and then hopefully it'll get better later, which it did. Um, but so I'm out in the middle of the bay. Um, the wind's finally starting to fill in. <clears throat> I'm making a little bit of progress. I can see little V lines stretching out behind the boat, you know, as I'm making finally making some actual progress. And here comes this motor uh, a sailboat motoring over to me. Uh, out in the middle of nowhere, and there's nobody else around. And they come up and wave, and I wave, and they're like, hey, your wife's looking for you. <laughs> <laughs> I said, okay, well, here I am, you know, and tell her I'm fine, and uh, and everything's great. Um, and so they were How did, the how did they get that message, uh, Robert, how did they get that message? Uh, they, were they listening to something? That, that, uh, uh, no, they, they had a cell phone. Oh, Okay. Yeah, and uh, actually, it's it's a it, here's another one of those like little weird incidents. Uh, so they called, but they had the diesel running when they made the call. So my wife kind of hears this message that somebody's seen me, but she can't understand what they're saying because she can't hear over the diesel in the background. And uh, so it just wound up being you know like it's just a circus. Um, oh, I can't imagine. But uh, actually, I think. Uh, that might have uh, given her an idea um, that uh, uh, because then later she set up a campaign, as you saw on that website, of you know, mm-hmm. spot yeah. spot the sailor, <laughs> and yeah. uh, and I wound up having people come up to me in the middle of nowhere a number of times and say, "Hey, your wife is looking for you." <laughs> <laughs> like I've heard, <laughs> tell her I'm okay. Um, so it was kind of it was kind of cute. In fact, uh, I was um, at the turnaround point uh, that, that I chose. I had set a couple of different marks um, at the north end of the bay, um, uh, like the minimum, uh, a medium distance, and the farthest you know possible stretch, uh, so right. that I had some like um, cushion and some variables variables built into the plan. I wound up using the shortest. Um, uh, distance, and th- that was the one up by Pools Island. I sailed into a little creek called Wharton's Creek, which is just north of Fairley Creek. Right. And, I'm looking uh, at it right now, yep. Oh, yeah, sure. I went by a little marina there, um, the Wharton's Creek Marina, and some guys on the shore said, hey, I think that that's, that's the guy in the laser who's sailing up the Chesapeake, because <laughs> they had heard from <laughs> my wife and, and, and stuff. Uh, she had put the word out quite a bit. So. Gotcha. So you're up right near Baltimore there at that point. Yeah, I'm past Baltimore, Baltimore, Baltimore. at that point. Yep. You can see the city lights. Is it bright there at night? Must be. Uh, well, no, actually, uh, uh, it's not quite like that, because Baltimore's mm. um, up the Patapsco River. Um, and oh, I had actually considered at one point sailing up to Baltimore, you know, using that as a route. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it would be kind of neat, especially um, in the years between, you know, well, 2012 and 2014. It's 200 years since the War of 1812. Oh, great. Fort McHenry. The only thing is I didn't want to get in a situation. um, Rivers can be funny and tricky. Um, I don't know that area by Baltimore a lot. And I didn't want to, on a long-distance trip, be fighting unknown current and unknown wind conditions and trying to mm-hmm. navigate, you know, a, a progressively narrower body of water. And also, the, the the shipping in there, you know, is now confined, and now I'm, I've become a bigger hazard in a smaller space. Um, nice you know, out in the Chesapeake, there's a lot of shipping, but they have their lanes, and if you, and there's plenty of area to avoid um, mm-hmm. contact. 
Um, yeah, but right, but as it, as it gets narrower, you know, uh, you, you increase the risk. And I I didn't want to be in a situation where I was coming up to Baltimore in the middle of the night, unknown territory, and not know what I was doing. So I tried to keep to pretty much open water where I would not become a hazard. And as it turned right. out, I wound up, you know, uh, in the end having an encounter anyway. Um, mm. um, uh, that was just a turn. How, how are you doing uh, at this point when you reach your sure. turnaround? Have you, have, are you doing okay uh, mentally and you feeling yeah. physically okay at the turnaround point? Yes, and uh, the, uh, uh, my major episode had already occurred, so uh, I'll take oh, it back okay. real quick. So, right. um, so uh, at, but toward the evening of the first day, I'm up um, just south of the Potomac um, by a bit, uh, and uh, heading north, the wind's starting to fill in. It's progressively building and building out of the south. Things at, at which point that becomes pretty favorable to me. I made a lot of progress through the night. I got um, across the Potomac, um, and uh, I was up by the Chopchank Rivers um, uh, as the sun came up and doing pretty good. Um, and then it's kind of a long slog up the bay to Annapolis from that point, um, and that takes the better part of the, you know, to the better part of the afternoon. Um, yeah. And I got to Annapolis probably. Uh, it's been a little while since the, I actually did the trip, but it must have been about three thirty, four o'clock in the afternoon uh, when mm-hmm. I got to Annapolis. And the elapsed time I remember um, noting was thirty-six hours. Um, I remember that because I was thinking, well, I made it in 31 hours last year, so it was a little bit slower. And basically, that's that four hours that I spent going nowhere off of Wolf Trap. Wolf Trap was the difference um, in the, the speed um, and in the time difference. Um, so I was thinking, well, I'm a little bit behind where I was last year, but it's not so bad. And um, uh, actually, at one point, just off Annapolis, I started feeling like a little bit bad and a little bit depressed. And I remember my wife telling me, you're going to run low on electrolytes if you start feeling, you know, like you're not making um, sense or if you're feeling mentally like a little depressed, make sure you replace electrolytes. And that's where I chomped down a bunch of these like little electrolyte bars from Cliff Bar. And within about three minutes of going, I feel great. This is great. There's nothing going to stop me. I will not be denied, you know, and uh, I'm going to make this. And uh, that's when I sailed under the uh, the main spans of the bridge, too. It was just a kind of uh, a little bit of bravado, I think. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, some, How are the uh, waters there, Robert? Are they busy at this point? Where you're, is it kind of no, tight around uh, Annapolis? Not, are they busy? Yeah, not a ton of boat traffic. There was some this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I had more the year before. Um, it mm-hmm. is uh, two days um, before the 4th of July. So, you know, there's um, a lot of, you know, oh, some pleasure craft out. The waters yeah, were very choppy at that point. The wind had started building pretty good. Um, it was probably blowing 12 to 15, which isn't too bad. It's really a pretty good wind range. But mm-hmm. um, the waves start to, to build up. And I think that area is pretty known for being choppy up there anyway. Oh, and, right. um, yeah, I, I certainly had that. I was uh, surfing down some waves, uh, probably bigger than waves I've actually surfed on with a surfboard. Is and, that right? Um, yeah, although it's, you know, the waves here are small down in Virginia Beach, so... I read that you got pretty comfortable with those big waves after a while, and uh, yeah, I am. Although uh, you know, yeah. it's uh, it's it's easy to to quickly not find the comfort zone. But uh, yeah, no, I I felt pretty good actually. Um, I was um, I was feeling all right, making pretty good time. I got under the Bay Bridge, um, and 
the Chester, I think that is, uh, just north of the Bay Ridge, and uh, got up to uh, basically by Fairley Creek just as um, the sun was setting. Mm-hmm. So I felt pretty good, um, and that's where I had my first big episode. So the the night before I left, I didn't get any sleep. I was taking care of some last-minute details. A friend had um, brought his boat over, and I, we had to do some rigging and some, you know, just set up on the boat to to get it ready to go. And I wound up basically not getting any sleep. So basically by this point, I've already been up for quite a, a long number of hours. And um, uh, as the sun set, I started having some hallucinations. Um, uh, all the little black plastic uh, fittings on the deck started to turn red. Um, then my T-shirt and my very, very blue life jacket turned red. Um, the water uh, around the boat um, started to turn um, a very deep red color. Um, I started hearing kind of like a little bit of a humming, buzzing sound. Um, wow. And I went into a period of some pretty deep hallucinations. Um, I won't, oh. yeah, yeah, don't need to, I think, recount all of them. But um, it was... I. I felt like the lights were just started kind of swimming in front of my eyes. I couldn't make heads or tails of the lights that I was seeing. Um, I kept looking at the GPS unit to try to, you know, uh, plot my position and rectify exactly where I was. And I, basically the screen was just swimming in front of my eyes. Like I couldn't make sense of it. And um, I wound up kind of sailing um, long, a uh, couple mile long, like figure eights for a while. Um just a little bit lost. I kept this is all like during was, the night? Yeah. All during the night? night? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, and, and that's pretty typical, I understand. I've gotten some really lovely letters of support and encouragement from other people who've tried to sail this record before, and actually, and from the woman who did. Um, and they all said they also um, suffered some pretty severe hallucinations, specifically right. like, you know, uh, 36 hours in or so. And um, gotcha. so, uh, yeah, I definitely went through a period of uh, like where I just I wasn't unconscious. I mean, I just uh, the brain was uh, operating in a different place for a little while. Ah. Um, I kept sailing the boat, um, you know, all it, it, it's like your heart beating, you know, I guess it becomes right, a, just basically a motor function. And extension you know, of you, right. Right. But where I was going, the brain wasn't was no longer, mm. you know, steering. <laughs> gotcha. Um, so it was just uh, basically I did a bunch of uh, yeah like long loops. Um, I felt trapped, um, and I felt um, uh, like I couldn't get out of. I was in a almost like a a watered pen, a water pen, and I couldn't huh. break out. And um, so finally, uh, uh, it was. I, I remember looking at the GPS, and finally. Being able to see something, I think it was uh, like uh, 3.30 in the morning, um, and I could finally see the time, and it made sense to me. So I must have been coming out of it at that point. I must have, mm. you know, gotten enough kind of like brain mm. downtime to, uh, to, for to start <laughs> making time. sense again. And um, just as I was basically regaining all of my faculties, I see this um, big, bright spotlight shine on me. And uh, I didn't know immediately what it was. And then I hear two big horn blasts. Um, and then I see this giant black wall 
heading right at me. And now I, I live on uh, basically an industrial river, so mm-hmm. I know what a barge looks like. And I know now that I'm staring at the front end of a barge front coming end. at me and really fast and dead. And uh, at that point, I was not really moving. I was kind of like just sitting still in the water as I was looking at the GPS unit. And um, I look up and see these lights. Now I immediately like get up in the boat, try to, you know, get it moving very quickly. And I'm not moving fast enough. And I can see that I'm not moving fast enough to get out of the way. And what I thought was the last second, I basically walked to the front of the boat, jumped off and started swimming for it. Now I am tied to the boat. I had the the end of the main sheet tied to my ankle. <laughs> um, well, not really. There's, you know, I've got like 40 feet, 40 feet of rope, you know, to, to go. But, so I started swimming for it, and um, and the bow wake of this barge basically threw the boat over on top of me. Um, I wound up under the sail and had to swim out from underneath the sail. And uh, we watched the barge just slide by us on the side, and... Um, it, the skipper must have made a, a hard turn to uh, to port because um, uh, we saw the bow go by us, and now you, know, you can see the shape slipping by. But then you can see the stern of the barge. Um, it, uh, the, the tug was pushing the barge. It starts kicking out, kicking out toward us. So we start swimming again, <laughs> and uh, um, I'm just praying at this point that please have turned your props off, you know, because I'm thinking I'm going to miss the crash and get, you know, chewed up by the props. Yeah, but um, fortunately he must have turned the props off because we didn't, we didn't go under. And, uh, and in in fact, in the end, there wasn't a scratch on the boat. Um, I didn't, nothing happened to me, but um, because it was such a near contact, um, they needed to report it, and uh, yeah. we wound up sitting there for six hours, um, you know, waiting for the Coast Guard to come, and then, you know, um, basically giving depositions, um, or, you know, uh, giving accounts of what has happened. Um, how did the was tug a, uh, contact? Yeah, how did the tug contact you? Were they just with oh, well, They, came, they came over on a launch. They came over. On oh, launch. They, they, oh, okay. They, they could not have been nicer and more professional. Um, mm. I was still disoriented, and I, I, I have to say, I probably. Um, must have come across as, you know, kind of uh, angry and upset and yeah. confused. And uh, because I was saying, I'm trying to set a record. Don't hit me. Mm. What? Why are you holding me here? Oh, and, okay. um, yeah. and um, you know, but, but basically because I'm just so focused. And um, mm. like I said, I was really coming out of a period where I had not been yeah. totally, you know, in control of all my uh, faculties. And so, but they were really, really nice guys, and um, they uh, they were very, very understanding. And actually, they they did their job really well. And frankly, mm-hmm. their boat handling probably saved my life. So, uh, you know, I owe a lot to the to those two guys. Amazing uh, story. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was pretty close. I mean, uh, they, it it would have been very easy to 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 not have made that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, I think I think that the skippers uh, on the on the the tug probably made all the right moves to spare me, um, and uh, they—I mean—they had all the rights. I mean, I was in their lanes, and right. you know, amazing—they were looking forward. Sometimes it's just yeah, it's lucky. Of, well, they're—you know—they're supposed to keep an outlook, but it's still pretty hard. You know, I'm—I'm I'm pretty low on the water. Hand. I do uh, rig—I do rig the laser with a pair of running lights um, when I'm at night, and I did have my running lights on. Hmm. But it still would have been very hard to see that at night. I also wear a headlamp at, at night um, that has a pretty high-intensity white light, too. And 
when I see contact, I um, I turn the light on and, and point my head up at the sail. And in the middle of the night, it's a pretty yep. pretty big beacon. Pretty big beacon, so, yep. Yep. So, you, are uh, you uh, are there lights on the shore along there? Is it well lit? The uh, shore we were lit up? Close to the shore. Yeah, we we were yeah. probably mm-hmm. two hundred yards from the shore there. Oh. Uh, that's where oh. the channel runs pretty close there, actually. So we weren't far from from the shore, um, but uh, uh, it, it it didn't matter. I mean, it, you know, it was pretty close contact. Um, the the coast guard was kind enough actually to um, uh, let me go. The officer on the scene actually felt that I was probably not in a condition to proceed. Um, mm. But um, um, he was in discussions with the main Coast Guard base, which had called my wife. And um, there's a funny line that everybody always likes to recount, and I'll recount it now, too. Um, she's talking to them, and um, uh, she's t- trying to tell them what I'm doing and why I'm there and, and everything. And she goes, well, listen, it's, does he seem kind of belligerent? <laughs> and I said, well, yep, the guy on the scene says he seems a little bit, you know, kind of um, – uh, short and belligerent. And she goes, well, then he's okay. <laughs> so uh, they let me go. And uh, So uh, at that point, actually, I wasn't really very far from where I was trying to get to, um, you know, like my shortest distance. I was already just north of Pools Island. Um, okay. So there's a light there, is that right? Yeah, it's on the west side of the island, though, and I'm on the east side. Gotcha. Um, right. Yeah. But that's essentially where where we were. We were. Um, is that your turnaround spot, Robert? Is that where you're um, around? Yeah, I wound up going just a little farther north up to Wharton's Creek mm-hmm. and sailed into Wharton's Creek. Um, okay. Right. Uh, but yeah, that essentially was the the kind of the the shortest turnaround point was like somewhere right there. <laughs> mm-hmm. And. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, so How did that feel uh, turning around? Turning around feel good? Did you feel like? Yeah, uh, it, it did. Um, I was um, I was sad by um, uh, a little bit sad about the the near contact, mm-hmm. and I I felt that well I basically spent six hours kind of um, sailing in circles and uh, you know to, to and wait to talk to the coast guard and to resolve the issue with the barge, um, and like so I had lost a, a, a lot of time. Time. And I figured between six hours spent, you know, basically sailing in one spot or just holding the boat steady, and then mm-hmm. another four hours lost to, you know, no wind down south. I've already lost ten hours in a trip, and I think uh, I was thinking to myself, yeah. I can't, as much as I want to go all the way up to my um, farthest target, which was the mouth of the Sassafras River. Um, right. I thought yeah. I can't, yeah. I can't uh, risk going that far. Because I won't have, you know, enough energy to get all the way back. Um, yes. So, uh, like I said, at that point, I was, you know, disappointed to pick the shortest, you know, spot, but, um, but still, you know, relieved that. Okay, so now, um, you know, on the way home. So now, mm-hmm. the next target is, you know, the docks at home. Get so back. it's easier to put your mind in that, you know, uh, at a, in a positive mental frame when you know that you're past the halfway point. So yeah, I was I definitely felt buoyed by that. Um um and the sailing from there was tough but but manageable. I mean, uh I was basically sailing into a southerly wind and going south. Um so it was a lot of long hard beats and yeah. getting through the bay bridge going south through through that wind was really really tough. Yeah. In fact, they, they I, I by nightfall had made it past the Bay Bridge um, and just south of Annapolis 
mm-hmm. when the sun set and I went into my, you know, uh, routine for preparing for night. So as as the sun starts to set, um, generally about an hour to a half hour before the sun sets, I go through like a little routine. I, I stop the boat for a minute and I actually, you know, have like a little larger but you know um you know meal and i have my apple and um i take a long drink you know um i make sure i put fresh batteries in the all the uh the lights that have you know, that i've been using and mm-hmm. um uh just um i put on um extra i i basically break out like the the foul weather gear for for nighttime and basically an extra layer or two um, so one of the things you never want to do, uh, just like I was saying, like you don't want to eat a lot and you don't, you don't want to spike, you don't want to lose body heat. Um, what are we talking about? Uh, Robert, what kind of temperatures are you experiencing? I think yeah, um, so the, 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 right, the weather was pretty nice. I think it was uh, probably in the mid-80s, um, oh, okay. but it'll drop, it'll drop 10 degrees nice. at night and you're on the water. Yeah. And uh, so um, you have to prepare for that. Um, uh, so I try to make sure that I have um, an extra layer out already mm-hmm. on when the night before it starts to get cool so that I never, you know, get cold. Um and uh, your skin, how was your skin holding up at Annapolis when they return and you still have your hands? Yeah, no, I'm still good. good. Yeah, they, so yeah, good, at yeah. This point I'm really good. Um um my my hands are good. Um I okay, so I, I don't sail like um uh, uh I'm covered up completely. I wear mm-hmm. like long leggings. If you see in the, I don't know if it's clear in the photos or any of the photos, yep. but I have like, uh, um, they're kind of like um, a, a synthetic, like a, it's like a base layer. Um, mm-hmm. So my legs are totally covered. Um, I have on um, like basically a shorty wetsuit. Uh, they're they're a hiker with uh, you know hiker pants, mm-hmm. a pair of hikers, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah. And um, and then I always have long sleeves on. Um, again, it's basically like a base layer, so it's very breathable. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, I, I know it's summer, but uh, I still keep up, co- I keep covered all the time. Um, I have my lucky hat on, um, which yep. serves also. Um, what, what I do during the day um, with that little hat, it's really good for like uh, just scooping up uh, a bunch of water and then just kind of pouring it over my head. Yeah, cool. And enough. I do that yeah. pretty frequently just to keep cool and um, mm-hmm. just to, you know, uh, keep from getting um, <clears throat> any kind of like sun poisoning. Uh, I right. apply uh, sunscreen basically twice a day. Um, so once in the morning before the sun, you know, really kicks in, and then after, sort of after lunch, mm-hmm. um, I'll I'll stop during like some like little food feeding point. I'll stop and put another mm-hmm. layer of sunscreen on. I definitely have like little rituals that kind of divide up the day, and mm-hmm. it's helpful just to kind of like Mentally. have little targets right yeah so yeah. that you know um because when you're sailing along like that you definitely lose track of the time i don't wear a watch per se i have a clock on the gps you know i could tell what time it is and i'm not a big watch wearer um so i i have since i have other means of telling the time I, i'm not really carrying a watch but um i'm using other like little methods to kind of mentally break up the day Sometimes I think you don't want to be looking at the watch too much because if you do, you'll you'll feel like you've been going for hours and hours and find that it's been five minutes, and I think that could be depressing. <laughs> People often ask, um, you know, so what are you, you know, what are you doing out there? Like, what do you think about her? You know, uh, I it, it, kiddingly, I think I, but I, there's some probably truth in it. I I think of all the people that I've wronged and all the sins I've committed, and uh, I always run out of time. <laughs> 
that's my big joke. Sorry. That's good. Um, so, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, longer, longer trip. Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, just to cover all the ground. Yep. Yeah, it's been a long, hard life. So, uh, but, uh, uh, so yeah, these little rituals kind of break it up. And so I'm back off, you know, Annapolis, and now the wind starts to really, really pick up and, and it gets serious. It's been strong all day. It's probably been in the high, you know, uh, mid to high teens. And now it's pushing up toward 20 and, and into the low 20s. And that starts to get pretty nasty, um, when you're out by yourself on a long trip. Um, the waves started to really get, um, steep. And then instead of being, white caps they started getting kind of blown flat oh you know, yeah yeah where you get that kind of like long yeah. um speed you know um yeah. instead of just the choppy little you know uh white caps you, they start to get you know kind of flattened out a little bit and then you know it's pretty windy um it's it was getting good. dark and uh there's uh, i was looking for some place where i could just kind of like tuck in behind and just you know kind of uh, sit yeah. and essentially heave to for a little while and just mm-hmm. kind of catch a breather. There was no place for me to do that um, at that at that place in the bay, so I wound up kind of just sitting on the boat and uh, you know you can kind of like feather the the laser for a little while into the wind and I basically just kind of sat there for um, maybe two hours, uh, maybe three hours um, when it was dark and blowing yeah. really really yeah. hard. I just you, I, I felt like I couldn't make meaningful forward progress in those conditions, so I was just mm-hmm. trying to hold position. And if you look at the GPS track that I had, what, or when I went back and looked at the GPS track, right at that spot, you can see there was about a three-hour period where I just kind of like um, seesawed, you know, scissored across the bay gotcha. um, from okay. from uh, from east to west. Um, I didn't I didn't go north or south. I just kind of went sideways for for uh-huh. a little while. Um, then the wind calmed down just before um, daylight, and I was able to kind of get going again. Um, and then, the, the, so this would be the beginning of the third day, essentially. And uh, mm-hmm. and again, it was just it was blowing pretty hard, but I was making pretty good progress. Um, and uh, it was just a little long, slow, hard fight south mm-hmm. um, until I got off the Patuxent River uh, when some heavy squalls started to move in. It's funny because I saw them coming. And I was on the edge of the squall line for um, probably about three hours. I was just sailing just, you know, to the good side of some bad clouds. And I thought, well, with a little luck, um, I'm going to get, you know, squeezed past these guys before they roll over me. And then my luck ran out. And the lightning started, like, getting really close. And I uh, all of a sudden the temperature dropped. You know, it must have been 20 degrees. And so I knew, you know, a big wall of wind was about to hit me. And uh, that's when the, 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 the a real squall line just came rolling over me. Um, uh, like I said, I turned the boat over for, for about two, three minutes while the, the, the big blow came through. But then, frankly, um, it got really nice. And I just rolled the boat up, got back on. I have everything, uh, you know, in the boat tied down. Uh, yeah, so actually I, I started off again and was feeling like in really good shape. I had a couple, uh, probably about two hours worth of light left to get to the Potomac, um, mm-hmm. uh, the north side of the Potomac, and then start the crossing. And then and mentally I felt once I was on the south side of the Potomac, I was home free. Um, but at that point, that's where the Coast Guard, which had been following my progress, came out. Um, they informed me that um, 
there was another uh, series of heavier squalls setting up to the uh, to the yeah. west and moving east right over the position, and they were supposed to come across essentially the Potomac, you know, that evening, and they wound up, and that wound up being the case. And then they were worried because the hurricane was moving up the coast and was supposed to be in North Carolina and moving north by the end of the next day. So they're like, if you don't get back by tomorrow evening, you're going to be sailing in a hurricane. And I, in theory, um, I was making enough progress that I should have been back by that time. But if, uh, you know, some other unforeseen incident had come up and I lost time, I, I would have been stuck. So um, weighing the information that they had at that point, I said, okay, uh, you know, you, you're right. And actually, that's not what I said. When they said that, I said, I'm going on anyway. And the Coast Guard chief looked at me and goes, look, I have a wife and kids. And, uh, you know, I appreciate what you're doing. And I, you know, understand what you're trying to do. But if I have to come out here again at night, I will but, uh, you know, you're going to be putting my life at risk to save mm. yours. Yeah, and heavy. please don't, and he said, please don't do that. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's one thing, like, um, uh, for me on this kind of trip to put my own life in jeopardy, and I understand the risks, uh, but they're mine to take and mine to fail. But I don't mm. feel comfortable, you know, putting somebody else at risk, not yeah. in that kind of situation. Yeah. And what, you know, so that combined with the weather report <laughs> made sense. And so I asked them, um, they, they offered to give me a tow, and I said, no, please don't touch the boat. Um, I'm trying to set a record here, and uh, I'll, I'll let me just do it myself. Okay. So I wound up sailing up um, the Patuxent River um, up to um, a little place called the Calvert County Marina. Um, it's basically like a little park and marina um, in Maryland. And... Okay. Uh, and that's where I basically pulled the boat up and called Lisa, and uh, she came and got me in the car. So, wow. you know, that, it was a interesting end to the trip. I was a little disappointed at that point. But, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, not, yeah. not as much as you might think because I thought, well, I'd actually given it, uh, you know, 100% of my effort. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> I didn't feel like I had made any really bad choices. I mean, it, there's definitely things I could have improved or done, but I didn't feel like... I had done anything that was, you know, foolish or out of line, or I didn't right. make any big mistakes. I learned a lot of lessons. I had applied that knowledge. Um, I thought overall, you know, it had been pretty successful. So I wasn't disappointed. I'm just disappointed that I hadn't, you know, right. gone ultimately to the target, you know, of <laughs> being back home and just carrying the boat up the docks on my dolly. Right. So. So you step off. You step off on land. Uh... Yep. And, uh, yeah, the Coast Guard had come in with yeah. me. Um, they had arranged. They, for, <laughs> they had like a little paramedic team, you know, the, the local, you know, oh, uh, okay. emergency unit to make sure I was okay. Um, they mm -hmm. gave me a clean bill of health, and then basically they shipped off. Um, it's kind of funny because it's not really a dinghy-friendly marina up there, and I don't oh. think people sail dinghies there because basically <laughs> there was a like a three-foot-high seawall there and no oh, ramp to pull the laser up. I'm sitting there by myself. I know that there's um, new squall lines coming. I didn't want to leave the boat in the water, so basically I unpacked everything, tied it all, all, all up so we could just quickly put it in the van when my wife showed up. Mm -hmm. And then um, basically by myself, I think this is all on adrenaline, uh, grabbed the front end of the boat, picked it up, pulled pulled the boat. It's only 130 pounds or so, but yeah. basically yeah. pulled the dinghy up, uh, uh, up onto I'm land by myself because wow. there's nobody around to help me. 
um, and it was just a pretty, pretty remote area anyway. And then just kind of secured everything, and basically I put my rain jacket on, which is uh, very warm, and just sat there and just sat there for four hours and waited for my wife to show up. <laughs> Not quite the ceremony at the end that you would <laughs> Yeah, okay, so I'll tell you one funny funny bit, though. So I've been living on power bars and, and, and water and electrolytes for, you know, basically three and a half days. My wife comes to get me. We're on our way home, and she's like, you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. I'm just hungry. And so by the time they got there, it was like probably one thirty in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning. And we're driving home, and we're in the middle of a very rural part of Maryland, and there's nothing there. And we finally come by this, like, 7-Eleven. I'm like, let's just go there. I don't care what we eat. And uh, so go to the back, and there's these, like, okay, so, like, Egg and cheese, you know, on a muffin breakfast things that you that you put in your like little microwave and you know you nuke them for thirty seconds and it's like it's like faux cheese and you know faux meat on on basically fake, fake bread. Yeah, it's basically it's it's basically artificial food, you know, in a wrapper. So I get two of these sandwiches and a cup of coffee, finally. And, uh, and a, and a, and a, and a quart of Gatorade, which I normally, it's not my favorite drink, but, you know, it's something to just keep the fluids in. And, uh, we start, went back to the van, and now these things are like, you know, microwave hot. And, uh, and I bite into this thing, and I thought I was in, in heaven. It was the most delicious thing I had ever eaten in my entire life. I could, I could feel calories running down my whole body. <laughs> it, was, it was just it was just drenching my body in grease and oil and just like artificial like oh goodness like oh my god it was just so delicious it was like one of those moments that is just like where your eyes light up and you believe you understand the universe it was like that delicious in fact it, it was like a month later and uh my wife and i were in a car driving somewhere and we were going past 711 and i'm like i must relive that moment <laughs> and we went in and we got one of these, you know, the stupid sandwiches and microwaves and went back out to the car and it didn't taste nearly as good the second time. It just like, it wasn't in that moment, but in that moment, holy smokes, that was like, because it was just like, I don't know, it was just food in some different way. That just, that sugar, I think, it was just the sugar, maybe it's probably what it was, you know, the caramelization. Holy, holy smokes. That was amazing. Who, who would have thought of it? You know, it's funny because um, <clears throat> the one thing I didn't want to do in the end was go, like, one mile farther than the previous record. That was, like, the, the worst-case scenario <laughs> in my mind. Right. No, and it's funny because when we were talking, you know, post-effort uh, with the folks from – we sent all of the data from the GPS to Magellan to basically have them download it and, you know, verify mm -hmm. the distance and just see – what had happened and everything, and they called us back and said, "Okay, um, sit down." Um, so you broke the record by one and a half nautical miles. <laughs> we're like, oh, "Oh, it's so much fun," but it's like kind of like the worst case scenario, you know, in, in our minds because we didn't want to just, you know, like inch weaker. forward. <laughs> right. But, but what are you going to do? I mean, it's still farther. You, you, you yeah. just sit there and yeah. go, "Well, you know, we'll just ignore that until we can do it, you know, some other time." And so no, and I mean, you, you, you know, you have to embrace the 
the data at some point. Right. I was but, asked uh, to stop. Right. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's funny because it is a totally different effort than, than was done before. And um, mm-hmm. the, the the challenges here in the confined area are, again, the wind, unless it mm-hmm. switches in some magical yeah. way, you know, in fortuitous way, is going to be against you at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless it's coming completely from the side, which is the ideal, you know, yeah. all, all the way up and back. But that's a very unlikely scenario. And um, mm-hmm. uh, so, and not not just that, but um, in the bay, there's a lot of there's it's a heavy there's heavy tide tidal movements in the bay. So yes. uh, sometimes they're all in your favor, but at other times they're mm-hmm. really working against you, and you have to be really smart about it. So it takes a lot of um, uh, serious thought, and we've done a, a, a lot of mm-hmm. heavy planning um, to try to maximize the benefits and minimize, you know, all the negatives of that kind of right. navigation. A um, lot of variables, yeah. Yep, yeah. and it's funny. Uh, this started because um, a uh, guy who's the head coach um, at Old Dominion um, and I have become friends and close over mm-hmm. time um, because I, I run a little sailing program um, under the auspices of the college and um nice and uh he's been such a big supporter and so uh, you know he's one of the key reasons i've really gotten back into sailing to the level that i have because he's been so supportive of um uh, all the community efforts that we've done and um that have been going on and um so he's the one who at one time in one of our conversations mentioned tanya calais um, who, you know, um, set the, the record before and mentioned, oh, yeah, well, you know, you want to talk about going far in a laser. A friend of mine who I know from, uh, she's a Mexican Olympian, um, <laughs> set the distance record in, in the laser. And that's what got me kind of thinking about going really, really far in the laser. And then I live basically two blocks from um, the Old Dominion University Sailing Center. Yeah. And I basically have my laser on a little dolly, and I just haul it down there by hand. I mean, I walk the streets with my my little sailboat all the time. My neighbors think I'm crazy, but they've come to accept, you know, the, oh, that's the guy with the boat, you know. Um, do, we, do we see you in a video? Is that when you're launching yeah, video? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, walking? when yeah. I'm walking okay. down, yeah. as I'm walking from my house down to the docks. That's your that's your walk. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, that's my that's my walk. I do that basically every day in the summer, and and a lot of days in the winter. I, I sail all winter long here. How so, soon after we'll, your uh, how soon after you uh, landed did you ever go? Did you go back out sailing? Was it pretty close? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I think I went actually. Um, maybe not the next day because I probably did something. But I think the day after that I went. Yeah, probably right. two days. Yeah. Two days after yeah. I probably went back out and did a little bit of sailing. Um, That's great. Yeah, no, I really enjoy it. I mean, the effort was big, and it definitely took a toll on me. It didn't show up right away. In fact, um, uh, on the on the drive home, I, I wasn't sleepy at all. Um, that was the shame about you know when when we wound up when I wound up stopping, I felt better at that point than I had uh, hours and hours. I felt really really strong. I felt really really positive and confident. Mm-hmm. I felt very very healthy, and I felt very mentally uh, focused and awake. And uh, mm-hmm. I had uh, done a, a lot of recovery uh, during the day, I guess, and. Mm-hmm. Um, so I felt really good. Wow, that's great. Uh, yeah, that's but, pretty impressive. Yeah, I, well, you know, the body's an amazing thing. I mean, yeah. And I've told people this too. It's it's an odd thing. Uh, some people are like, oh, you just can't stay awake for that long. And um, in the end, it was eighty six hours. Um, you know, mm-hmm. um, shore to shore. Uh, 
And I definitely had one period where, like I said, you know, I, I hallucinated probably for about three hours. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and uh, but I I know I was awake and focused through that, just not mentally, you know. Right. Um, part of your brain was working in right. Part and of dream I, state, I think it's okay. Yeah, yeah so, oh, semi, uh, semi. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and definitely in that 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 following night off Annapolis, um, when I had the boat parked, I mm-hmm. I know that. Um, just kind of like mentally, I I probably blacked out for about an hour. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was in the boat sailing it, and um, but I know that it was just dark and it was so windy and so kind of mm-hmm. violent on the water that there was just nothing to do except kind of just sit there in the boat. And I think you know, I definitely yeah. just had like um, a, like a shutdown for about an hour. Got you. Just kind of brain powers um, down a little bit. And yeah, you know, I mean, you still have to be holding the sheets. Um, Right, and, the party uh, and is still dark. operating, right? Yeah, but uh, so I think maybe just that was enough to recover and keep going. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Yeah, so oh. I mean that's that's kind of you know the, yeah. the basics of the trip, and uh, you know it's a long, <laughs> really incredible story, though, Robert. Thanks. Am I right? Am I thinking that you're going to take it about a mini transat? Uh, yeah, challenge. Um, you think about yeah, that? I've, yeah, I've uh, since I was a little um, boy, I have been uh, I've loved stories about long distance and uh, particularly solo sailing but just long distance mm-hmm. sailing um uh i i guess like so many people you know i mean this isn't you know just me but uh, my heroes as kids too were you know joshua slocum and yeah, uh, chichester yeah. and um yep. my sports heroes were actually um all the guys in the who were sailing at the time it was the o-star you know uh, that's great. And, yeah. Right, and that, <laughs> to Barley and, you know, Philip Weld and Moxie and then Trimran, Dick Newick and, you know, all of his Trimrans and actually he had the, uh, the one proa too that they, um, they entered, um, uh, wow. and just, so, I mean, I was always fascinated. These are your heroes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, so mm-hmm. I've, I've wanted to do that for a long time and, and then, you know, just in college I got involved in some other things. I wrote, I raced bicycles for a while. I used to run, um, cross country and long distance, um, uh, and uh, you know, then college just took up a lot of time and a lot of my mm-hmm. interest. Um, and then I got involved in newspapers, and I was working and supporting myself. And then you know, family came, and so a lot of things have just gotten to uh, gotten in front of me and gotten in front of those mm-hmm. objectives. Yeah. But they've just recently come back to the surface, and. Um, uh, so yeah, I yeah. I think I'll yeah. probably do one more long trip in the laser. Mm-hmm. Um, this time I think I will probably go out into the ocean and go one direction and go right? as yeah. far as I can one way. So. Well, we'll be looking forward to that next year. We'll be, we'll be watching and definitely yeah. looking for you in the you transat. Yeah, thanks, Robert. Thank you so much for talking with me today. Oh, I really my do pleasure. appreciate and, it. Hey, have a good Have a good Sunday. Thanks. Thank thanks so much for taking the time. Right. Okay, bye. Bye-bye.